This is CNN Breaking News. To the lead, I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin today with our health lead and some major news in the search for a coronavirus vaccine. Three trials, now three, showing that participants in the studies had a promising immune response to the vaccines. Health experts say the United States is in desperate need of a vaccine because President Trump and other leaders have so seriously mishandled any serious attempt to contain the virus within our borders. As of this afternoon, the U.S. is nearing 4 million confirmed cases in the United States, and that's growing. Almost 141,000 lives have been lost. That number is also sadly growing. And the lack of national leadership that has been apparent since the beginning of this crisis is only seeming to get worse, with the mayor of Washington, D.C. today calling for the federal government to, to step up, particularly when it comes to an aggressive national campaign to test Americans which, with quick results and then conduct immediate contact tracing so as to contain the spread of the virus. We can't have our national leadership throwing up their hands. Um, this may be a time to recenter and reset. Today, President Trump announced that he is bringing back the White House Coronavirus Task Force briefing, saying he'll now, quote, get involved due to the surges of the virus in Texas and Florida. But we have already seen months of examples of what the president does at these briefings. He often downplays the threat of the virus, and he frequently lies about what is really happening. Here's the president four months ago today at one of these briefings, March 20th when more than 200 Americans had already died. My message to the American people is that uh, there is a very low incidence of death. You understand that. And uh, we're going to come through this stronger than ever before. There are labs across the country that don't have the testing supplies they need. What specific actions well, is the administration very well. taking? I tell you what. That's right. Four months ago, the president said testing was going very well. It was not. And labs continue to lag in being able to test people who need tests, who want tests, and to turn around quick results. Now, three months ago to this day, on April 20th, with more than 40,000 Americans dead, President Trump continued to try to paint a rosy picture of this tragedy, saying that the administration had tremendous testing capability. This capacity is sufficient to allow states to conduct diagnostic testing to treat patients as well as contact uh, tracing to contain outbreaks. Contain what outbreaks? What outbreaks are being contained? Which ones? It was not sufficient then, and health experts say it is not sufficient today. In some parts of the country, any serious contact tracing campaign is non-existent. Now, just minutes ago, President Trump tweeted this image saying, quote, many people say that it is patriotic to wear a face mask when you can't socially distance. There is nobody more patriotic than me, your favorite president, unquote. This image comes after months of President Trump openly mocking people who wear masks and refusing to set an example by wearing one publicly. Two months ago today, two months ago today, on May 20th, the death toll had surpassed 92,000, and Michigan's attorney general was publicly pleading for President Trump to wear a mask when he visited a Ford factory. And the next day, the president visited that Ford factory and did not wear the mask for the public portion of the tour. He said he didn't want to, quote, give press the pleasure of seeing him wearing a mask. 
Mask wearing, according to health experts, is a critical tool to containing the coronavirus. And the message the president has sent has been clear. His supporters across the country, as well as others, are constantly pushing back on health requests. Please, every American wear a mask when in public. The horrible example that the president set may have actually peaked one month ago today, June 20th. With nearly 120,000 Americans dead, President Trump held an indoor rally. No masks were required. The Washington Post obtained video of his staffers removing stickers from chairs. These stickers encouraged social distancing. The president at this rally used a racist term for the virus, and he claimed inexplicably that he wanted his administration to slow down the testing. You know, testing is a double-edged sword. When you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people, you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. The virus is spreading because the virus is spreading. It's not spreading because of the testing. And that brings us all to today. With nearly 141,000, 141,000 Americans dead from coronavirus. And the Trump administration's testing czar, Admiral Brett Giroir, admitting just this morning that testing is still not where it needs to be with long wait times continuing across the country. Yet, there is still no new presidential strategy to get us out of this spiraling crisis. This refusal to lead has a body count. As CNN's Jason Carroll reports, coronavirus deaths are now rising week over week in almost half of all states. A glimmer of hope on the vaccine front amid the devastating numbers around the country. At least three groups developing vaccines announced early human trial results show so far they are safe and create an immune response. This is a positive result, but again, there is a long way to go. A vaccine cannot come fast enough as cases soar from coast to coast. Florida reporting at least 10,000 new cases today. Right now in the state, nearly 9,400 people are hospitalized fighting the virus. So far, 5,072 lives lost. In Miami-Dade County, intensive care units overtaxed at 130% capacity. This is scary. I mean, now every day is over 10,000. It's, it's almost like the norm. As long as we don't work together, and I'm talking counties and the state, uh, we're going we're gonna to find ourselves in this problem right now. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis coming face to face with the frustration at his press conference this afternoon. Other states in the South and Sun Belt, like Arizona and Texas, seeing rising numbers as well. Arizona's seven-day average positivity rate is the highest in the country at 24.4%, even reaching an astounding 39% on Saturday. 87 doctors signed a letter to Governor Doug Ducey urging him not to reopen schools until at least October. Ducey has resisted calls for a statewide mask mandate, something President Trump continues to give mixed messages on. Will you consider a national mandate that people need to wear masks? No, I want people to have a certain freedom, and I don't believe in that. Everybody was saying, don't wear a mask. All of a sudden, everybody's got to wear a mask. And as you know, masks cause problems, too. With that being said, I'm a believer in masks. I think masks are good. 
Nationwide, the CDC is now forecasting the total U.S. death toll from the virus will be more than 150,000 Americans by August 8th. And in places like Louisiana, where the virus was raging in the spring and then under control with stay-at-home orders, the virus is back and worse than before. All of this while some are still waiting seven days or longer for test results. We're all working to decrease the turnaround times, but let me put this into context. One uh, state was at five days average. Seven states were between four and uh, four and five days. Eighteen states were between two and three days, and the rest were between three and four days. That is not optimum. We want to reduce that. It will be reduced. So again, Jake, the president tweeting out that picture of himself wearing a mask, something that Health officials have been asking him to do now for months. Again, the president calling it the patriotic thing to do. Finally, it seems as though the president may have come around. We'll see. Meanwhile, uh, West Virginia, the governor there, now reporting several outbreaks linked to seven churches spread across seven counties there. Jake, another reminder that this virus continues to spread in any place if you're not careful. Jake. All right. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Jason uh, Carroll. Uh, I want to bring in right now uh, William Hazeltine. He's a former professor at Harvard Medical School, and he's author of the new book, uh, A Family Guide uh, to COVID. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. I appreciate it. Um, just minutes ago, uh, President Trump tweeted this photo of himself, seemingly encouraging mask wearing, calling it uh, patriotic. Uh, what did you make of it? I, I'm very happy to see that. It's about time that happened. Uh, we're in a pretty desperate situation now with the virus raging across the country. More than uh, one to two people a minute are dying today uh, and will be tomorrow as well. It's uh, welcome to see the president finally doing what health experts say. I hope he's beginning to follow and our administration will begin to follow many of the other recommendations. Uh, we need leadership desperately. It's not just enough for states we and local communities to do things. We need leadership. Absolutely. And I want to talk about some of the areas where leadership has been sorely lacking in a second. But I also want to talk about this encouraging news and the search for a vaccine. Mm-hmm. How significant do you think the, the, the early results from these trials are? They're early results, but they can only be described as encouraging. That Many of the vaccines that have been used, there are about five or six now, show immune responses. They show neutralizing responses, which is what you want. They have varying degrees of safety, which is not good. Some of the ones aren't particularly safe. They've caused serious adverse reactions, but many of them seem to be fully tolerable. Uh, Many of them are, almost all of them, it seems, are gonna need more than one dose, which is not optimal when you use a virus, a vaccine around the world. But I would say these are encouraging results. They're early results. And we need to wait to see whether or not they're going to prevent infection. And if they prevent infection, will they prevent disease? Or if they present, if they don't prevent, prevent infection, will they prevent disease? That is up in the air. But this is nothing but encouraging at this point. What are the next steps for the trials? How soon, theoretically, might the general public get one of these vaccines? Should everything go well from here on out? I think that it won't be the general public at first. At first, it will be people like emergency healthcare workers, hospital workers that are exposed every day to the virus. Uh, 
then it might be people who are known to be exposed uh, to this virus. And only after we have much more experience with a safety profile, particularly for people who are older, who are weaker, who already have fragile immune systems, for children, uh, it's going to take some time before a general public. I wouldn't be surprised with the effort that's going on if something were approved this year. Now, that something may be effective and it may be safe. We'll know something about that, but we won't be absolutely sure on either score. So I think it's going to be some time before there's a vaccine. I think we don't have that time right now. That's even four, five, six months away. In that time with over one person a day, a minute dying, day in and day out, we have to do something more than that. We have to control how we mingle. We have to wear masks, we have to distance, we have to be very disciplined about that. And we need leadership and we need organization. It's not enough to have leadership. You have to have the tools to do it too. And we need the full force of the federal government coming in and helping those places that need help. I wanna play for you something that Missouri Governor Mike Parson told a radio show uh, about children and coronavirus, something fairly shocking, take a listen. These kids have got to get back to school. They're at the lowest risk possible. And if they do get COVID-19, which they will, and they will when they go to school, they're not going to the hospitals. They're not going to have to sit in doctor's offices. They're going to go home, and they're going to get over it. They're going to go home, and then they're going to get over it. Now, it is true uh, that it does seem children under the age of nine uh, are the ones that, that have the least adverse rea- uh, reaction um, but but there was so much there that was ignorant. I didn't even know how to react. What do you make of it? Well, the first thing, when we talk about schools, we're talking about K through 12. And those people over 10 have the same kind of risk profile you or I do, or maybe you do, you're a younger man than I am. But still, they have the same risk profile and they can get sick. Secondly, we know that when kids do get sick, it is truly horrendous. Uh, they get the very late stage of the disease. They get heart disease, brain disease, kidney disease. It is uh, terrible. I have a friend whose grandson uh, went through that barely, barely lived. It is terrible and will be damaged probably for the rest of his life, is even at this young age. So if they do get it, it's a very bad thing to get. Not only that, but they do spread the virus. This is a cold virus in its essence, the cold virus with a very unpleasant effect that it uh, kills people as well, but it's fundamentally transmitted like cold viruses. And everybody knows how you get a cold virus. You send your kid to school and he comes back and gives you a cold. That's how you get cold viruses. I'm a grandfather and when I get a cold, it's because my kid is his grandson has gone to, to school and come back. So, and old people get viruses from their grandchildren. So this is not a, what he said, it's, you know, let's say it's misinformed to be kind. Yeah. And he's a governor. William Hasseltine, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. As always, we always appreciate you stopping by the show. Coming up, why more funding for the CDC testing and contact tracing is getting between President Trump and some Republican lawmakers. Then a gunman wearing a FedEx uniform kills the son of a federal judge in a bizarre and horrific shooting in New Jersey. Now the hunt is on for the reason why. Stay with us. In our politics lead today, President Trump once again massively downplaying the serious threat of the coronavirus when asked 
on Fox about his claims earlier this year that the virus would just disappear, the president said this. I'll be right eventually. I will be right eventually. You know, I said it's going to disappear. I'll say it again. It's going to disappear. And I'll be right. I don't think so. Right. I don't think so. You know why it doesn't disappear? Because I've been right probably more than anybody else. The president, who infamously said in March that soon will we be down to zero cases, claims that he's been right on the coronavirus more than anybody else. He has not, of course, particularly on the subject of inadequate testing and contact tracing. But as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, a source tells CNN that the White House is actually pushing back against Senate Republican efforts to give states and the CDC more money to expand both of those programs. Okay, well, thank you very much. President Trump sat down with the top two congressional Republicans today in hopes of getting on the same page when it comes to the next coronavirus relief bill. We're focused on starting with another trillion dollars. We think that will make a big impact. And the the focus is, as I said, is really about kids and jobs and vaccines. The White House infuriated Senate Republicans this weekend after moving to block billions of dollars that GOP lawmakers wanted in the bill, including $25 billion in grants to states for testing and tracing and another $10 billion for the CDC. One GOP aide called the administration's effort tone-deaf as hell. But today they tried to put on a united front when it comes to priorities. We're going to make sure that we don't pay people more money to stay home than go to work. We want to make sure that frivolous lawsuits don't prevent schools, universities and businesses from reopening. It is not effective. Talks with Democrats are expected to be contentious given time is running short and the two parties are nowhere near an agreement on extending enhanced unemployment benefits or providing liability protections for businesses. Obviously you can't pass the bill in the Senate without the Democrats, and we'll begin to talk to them as well. After a long hiatus, Trump announced he's resuming his daily coronavirus briefings tomorrow. I'll do it at 5 o'clock like we were doing. We had a good slot, and a lot of people were watching, and that's a good thing. Then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out. The task force briefings all but came to a halt after the president suggested in April that people could use disinfectants like bleach to treat COVID-19. Deborah, have you ever heard of that? Uh, Trump didn't say whether the health experts will join him this time. In a confrontational interview with Chris Wallace of Fox News, he criticized Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's a little bit of an alarmist. That's okay. Without citing evidence, the president also claimed that wearing a mask can cause problems, a statement that stands in stark contrast to what the Surgeon General said today. I'm begging you, uh, please understand that we are not trying to take away your freedoms when we say wear a face covering. Now, Jake, of course, you have seen this tweet from the president by now, sent out just a few moments ago, finally on July 20th, encouraging people to wear masks. Of course, that comes months after the CDC, back on April 3rd, initially recommended people wearing masks when they were out in public. And so the question is, where did this come from? Why is the president tweeting this now? Because for months, aides have been trying to get the president to wear a mask when he's in public, to send that kind of message saying that it is important to do so. And we are told by colleague Dana Bash and I that this is the result of negative poll numbers that the president is looking at. Many public, even some internal polls that say people do not approve of the way he's been responding to coronavirus so far. And now that's what's getting the president to change his activity. So it's all about his own political standing. Caitlin Collins, thank you so much. Uh, Tune in tonight 
As CNN's Fareed Zakaria investigates the conspiracy theories promoted by President Trump and why they can be dangerous, the CNN special report airs at 9 p.m. Eastern. Coming up next, the current coronavirus epicenter in the United States, Miami. With numbers getting worse by the day, we're going to talk live with the city's mayor on why a new stay-at-home order has not yet been issued. Stay with us. That's Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis and our national lead getting heckled at a press conference this afternoon in Orlando. Today, the state of Florida reported another 10,000 new cases, the hardest hit area. Miami, where you can now get fined for not wearing a mask or adhering to social distancing guidelines, although gyms and retail stores and outdoor dining remain open. Uh, Joining us now, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. Mayor Suarez, thanks so much for joining us. Last week, you told CNN that you were meeting with community leaders to talk about the possibility of a future lockdown, stay-at-home orders. Uh, Where are you on a a new stay-at-home order? Are you about to do it, or are you still have reservations? No, we're still, uh, it's something that's still on the table. Um, We're talking about it every single day. We talked about it uh, today in our uh, Monday morning call with the Department of Health, with our biostatisticians, uh, with our epidemiologists. Uh, You know, we're obviously, um, you know, it's, it's obviously a difficult decision insofar as we have to weigh the fact that uh, before, when we when we issued the stay at home order uh, in March, April, and I was the first city in the, in the state of Florida to issue the stay at home order, you know we had full employment, three uh, percent unemployment. We had a federal safety net of PPP and unemployment, and we don't have any of that now. Now we have eleven percent unemployment. So it's a very difficult decision. Obviously, we're consulting with uh, uh, our hospital administrators, and we put in a set of remedial measures uh, that have shown uh, some diminishment of the increase curve uh, over the last week. Uh, and we're waiting to see uh, how much diminishment we're going to uh, get from that, from those remedial measures that we've implemented. Obviously, these decisions are, are very difficult. They have lot, there's lots of key, competing imperatives. When there was a stay-at-home order in April, the situation was just empirically better in Florida health-wise. Uh, on May 4th, when that stay-at-home order expired, there were 819 new cases reported. Today, that number is more than 10,000, 12 times the amount of new cases. So what is taking so long to put in place a new stay-at-home or stay-at-home order, at, at the very least in your city, which if your city is the epicenter of a state that is now the epicenter, it would seem like now would be the time if you're going to do it. Yeah, and, and we may do it uh, over the next uh, couple of days. It, it, and there are some uh, people in that business council meeting that you referred to that do think that now is the best time because we are uh, in the summer, uh, the school has not begun yet, and and obviously for for Miami, which is a very tourist based economy, um, the the sort of high season is is later on in the year. Um, and there are others uh, that that don't agree. We're we're working with our hospital system and with our, our experts and epidemiologists, and our hospital administrators have told us that uh, we've put in place a variety of of remediation measures. The one, some of the ones that you've discussed, and that are what we should be doing now is focusing on enforcement, and that's why we're uh, this week. Uh, we've eliminated the the um, uh, the warnings for a mask in public uh, for not having a mask in public. So uh, we're immediately immediately going to be fining people fifty dollars for the first occurrence, one hundred and fifty for the second, and five hundred for the third. Uh, and we're hoping that that heavy enforcement uh, will help us more dramatically reduce the curve. Uh, and, and you know, and, and from what we've been seeing over the last uh, ten days. Miami-Dade County is the hardest-hit area in this hardest-hit state. The percentage of people testing positive in May was 13%. On Friday, 
it's 27%. So obviously it's spreading. Um, are you able to uh, do contact tracing and figure out how people are getting the virus and then tell people so that the virus can be isolated or is it just out of control? Well, I can tell you that the contact tracing uh, that's been done by the Department of Health has been uh, woefully insufficient. Um, we've been helping them and, and, and really it shouldn't be up to the mayors uh, to necessarily help the Department of Health uh, provide adequate contact tracing. Um, but but it is it is not sufficient at this particular moment. Um, we have been getting some interesting information, which indicates to us that, you know, over 30 percent of the people that are getting sick are people from the age range of 18 to 34. Uh, over 28 percent of the people are getting sick at home. And 71 percent of those people are reporting uh, that more than one family member in the household is sick. So it becomes apparent that people, you know, obviously, once they get home, they stop practicing social distancing. They're not wearing their masks. Hopefully they wash their hands, but in some cases they don't. And so we're seeing a tremendous amount of spread within the home uh, from one person to to a more than one person within a home. And so that's something uh, that we're seeing that is causing, I think, uh, some of this exponential growth that we're seeing. It's spreading out of control. A, a health expert I spoke with said that what this country needs is a Manhattan project where President Trump puts all the resources, uh, resources of the government to encourage everyone to wear a mask in public and then to do a, an aggressive nationwide testing and contact tracing program so that the virus can be isolated from the rest of the community. Would you like to see something like that? Would Miami benefit from that? Absolutely, 100%. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I've been calling for a federal uh, mask in public rule uh, and a statewide mask in public rule. I do think that robust uh, contact tracing and isolation is essential. Um, you know, we just got from the state of Florida 400 isolation hotel room beds that we're working with Miami-Dade County to implement. Um, and we, like I said at the beginning, you know, our contact tracing is nowhere near uh, where it needs to be uh, in order to be effective. And we're dealing, you know, we're talking to the state of New York as well as other uh, areas to see what they're doing uh, to improve our contact tracing or to at least help the Department of, of Health improve its contact tracing so that we get better uh, information uh, and, and better isolation of the virus. It is just, it's a tragedy. We're six months into this pandemic and people like you, Mayor Suarez, are, are being left basically to your own devices to try to help the, the good citizens of Miami. We'll be thinking about you and your citizens as you try to keep everyone safe. Please stay in touch with us. Let us know uh, what you need and what we can bring attention to. On the other side of the country, California is seeing a second surge and a new record. Coming up next, why one specific group of Californians is bearing the brunt more than others. Stay with us. Breaking news in our national lead for the fourth time in a week. Los Angeles County has set a new record for daily coronavirus hospitalizations. There are now more than 2,200 COVID patients in the hospital in L.A. It's part of a, an alarming trend across the state of California. And CNN's Sarah Seidner got access to one hospital so overwhelmed with new coronavirus patients, the Air Force is now helping out. You're, when you're sleeping, you're on your belly? Okay. Good. The staff at this California hospital is nearing exhaustion. Every breathing minute, I think about COVID-19. In a video diary from inside Eisenhower Health in Rancho Mirage, nurse Catherine Davis says she's used to seeing one death a year in her unit. With 700 COVID patients treated here so far, she's now seen 40 deaths. We would ensure that a patient did not die alone. So 
you know, we would take turns spending time with them and holding their hand and talking to them. Doctors knew they had the beds to treat the surge, but not the staff. When we heard that the next, you know, wave of relief might come in in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you know, that's when things become a little bit desperate. They asked the federal government for help, and it arrived. An Air Force medical team of about 20 helped shoulder the unending load. The stress here repeated all over California. So how did we get here? The state was the first to announce a stay-at-home order. That was March 19th. This is a moment we need to make tough decisions. Seven weeks later, the governor reopened the state on May 8th. You have bent the curve. But that wasn't to be. By early June, the seven-day average for new daily coronavirus cases was more than 2,600. By July 11th, it peaked at more than 9,400, more than a 250% increase. Andrew Maureen, you are a renowned epidemiologist. What went wrong in California? You know, we opened up too soon. We didn't have the virus totally under control. Experts agree. Residents and local governments got complacent. I want to be back on the field now. Case in point, three suburban counties near L.A. all lifted their mask requirements under heavy pressure from angry residents. None of this is based on science, but rather a nefarious political agenda to silence the people and strip freedoms from hardworking Americans. Now, hardworking Americans in all three counties are seeing a COVID surge. And hospital beds are filling up. And that's frightening, because where do we go from there? Are patients telling you how they might have gotten it? Yes. Well, some of them are partiers. Some of them have gone out and um, gone to parties, no masks. But Los Angeles County did and still does have strict mask requirements. Tickets are even being issued if you don't comply, and yet it's still the epicenter of the California surge. How much worse does it have to get in Los Angeles before you feel compelled to issue another stay-at-home order? Well, I think we're on the brink of that. People are not following the rules, or not wearing masks, or not social distancing. Among them, California's 40 and under who make up more than half of the state's new cases. Also hard hit, the Latino community, which makes up a third of the state's population, but more than half of COVID infections. Sometimes it's mom and dad's work experience that has brought them into contact with it. And then it goes through the whole family. Experts say fixing all this comes only one way. You have to just shut down for now. I think that that is our only way out. And that is not what people want to hear, of course, especially those who are extremely worried about the economy like we all are. But Dr. Perambetti and Nurse Davis have both said they are seeing the results of younger people getting coronavirus in the hospital. 20 and 30 year olds now regularly are in the hospital. Some of them so sick they can't even turn themselves over because they're in so much pain. They are begging people, wear your masks, self-distance. We have to do this so we can get back to normal. Jake. All right, Sarah Seidner, thank you so much. A rare and terrifying story. A gunman dressed as a FedEx delivery man opens fire on a federal judge's family. Coming up next, the mysterious item they found in the suspect's car. Stay with us. We have breaking news just into CNN. We now know the name of the suspected gunman who shot and killed a federal judge's 20-year-old son and injured her husband. Police say the man killed himself just a day after reportedly dressing as a FedEx delivery driver, knocking on the door of, Jester, uh, ju- knocking on the door of Judge Esther Salas's New Jersey home. 
and opening fire. Judge Salas was inside during the attack. She was not injured. CNN's Alexander Field joins us now live from North Brunswick, New Jersey, uh, the town where the shooting took place. Alex, uh, tell us what you know about the gunman. Uh, Jake, authorities are now naming the suspect as Roy Den Hollander. We've learned that he is an attorney who had a case in front of Judge Solis back in 2015 in which he was arguing against the military's all-male draft. But at this point, investigators have not pointed to what may have specifically motivated the suspect to open fire at the house behind me. Daniel Andrel, a 20-year-old college student, killed in a hail of bullets. His father, defense attorney Mark Andrel, badly injured standing behind him in their doorway. His mother, U.S. federal judge Esther Salas, was inside their house at the time. Authorities now say the shooter who came to the doorstep dressed as a FedEx worker later killed himself. His body was found in Liberty, New York. Investigators also found a FedEx package addressed to the judge in a car. I took an oath and I, I stand by that oath. Judge Salas, the U.S. District Court judge for the District of New Jersey since 2011, has presided over a string of high-profile cases. She'd recently been assigned to a class action lawsuit against Deutsche Bank. Investors alleging the bank failed to properly monitor high-risk customers, including convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. She presided over the financial fraud case involving Real Housewives of New Jersey stars Teresa and Joe Judice and handled the 2018 sentencing of Farad Roland, leader of one of Newark's most violent street gangs on federal racketeering charges. So help you God. She became New Jersey's first Latina U.S. District Federal Court judge following her nomination by former President Barack Obama, her family at the time beaming by her side. My son Daniel Mark, who's uh, really excited and he wanted me to make sure that, that, that Madam, Madam Chairwoman, that you knew that he got permission from his principal to be here, Sister Mary Louise, so he's not, not going to get in trouble. You didn't <laughs> want him here any other way. And I can tell he's very proud of you. He has a big smile on his face. <laughs> As a young man, her only son, Daniel, planned to follow his parents' path toward the law. Mark Andrell is in the hospital, having been operated on two days in a row now. He is said to be aware of what happened and of the death of his son. Jake? Such a horrible story. Alexander Field in North Brunswick. Thank you so much. Clashes between federal agents and protesters in Portland, Oregon, seem to be escalating. Federal agents used tear gas on protesters overnight, some of whom broke through a fence and tried to set fire to the federal courthouse. A 53-year-old Navy veteran says agents beat him with batons and sprayed him with tear gas. You see that going on in this video right now. He said he was tr just trying to talk to the agents over the weekend. Protests in Portland have gone on for more than 50 consecutive days. The mayor told me yesterday that the protests and the intensity have escalated since the Trump administration began sending in those federal agents. Mayors of five major cities sent a joint letter to President Trump and Attorney General Barr today calling for the removal of federal officers from their city, saying, quote, the unilateral deployment of these forces into American cities is unprecedented and violates fundamental constitutional protections and tenets of federalism, unquote. This after President Trump today announced that he's going to send even more agents into cities run by Democrats. He specifically listed Philadelphia, Oakland, Detroit, and Baltimore as places where he may send federal law enforcement agents. The political context of this, of course, cannot be ignored. The president is sinking in polls less than four months before the presidential election, and he seems eager, if not desperate, to find any issue to run on. CNN national security analyst Kerry Cordero uh, joins us now to discuss. Kerry, what, what's your reaction 
to this push from President Trump to send federal agents into cities where the mayors say they don't want them? Is this responding to a real threat or is this just politics? Well, what I'm worried about, Jake, is that he's stepping on uh, the, his political influence onto the Department of Homeland Security to use this big law enforcement force to go beyond the scope of what their normal activities are to do. So DHS should be protecting. Uh, they have a role to protect the federal facilities there. What they should not be doing is going out into the streets of Portland or any other street to enforce criminal law. Are there any legal actions that these mayors or any governors can take beyond just sending the president a letter? Well, I think what they need to do first is they need to be speaking directly. The the federal government, the Department of Homeland Security and the attorney general needs to engage. They need to be talking directly to local state officials in Oregon and in Portland to determine who has the proper lanes of the road. And then they need to also, there has been a referral from the U.S. attorney, uh, the U.S. attorney in Portland um, about potential civil rights violations that these uh, DHS officers may have engaged in. So there's a potential legal avenue there when it comes to infringement on civil rights. But really, they need to talk to each other. Um, this non-dialogue, uh, we're not going to talk to each other, is ridiculous. It's not any way to run a city. And the state and locals need to say, here's what we're going to do to provide security. And then DHS needs to back down and get their Border Patrol officers outside of the interior of the country. Finally, Congress is probably going to need to step in to look at the oversight and accountability within the Department of Homeland Security more generally. Carrie Cordero, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Finally, we want to take time today to remember one of the 140,000 lives so far lost in this country to coronavirus. Patrick Ellis was a legend in Washington, D.C. radio. Good morning. You're listening to Gospel Spirit with me, your host, Patrick Ellis. Ellis hosted that Sunday morning gospel show for more than 40 years here in D.C. on Howard University's WHUR. He was the longest-running on-air personality in the D.C. area, even during the pandemic. Listeners tuned in weekly to hear his church announcements, along with birthday greetings and anniversary shout-outs. Ellis had a calm voice and a helping hand. He was always pitching in on food drives, raising money for domestic violence shelters. Ellis went into the hospital last Monday. His family hoped that he'd be back on the airwaves soon. Sadly, he died Thursday at the age of 77. To the Ellis family and all his listeners, we offer our deepest condolences. May his memory be a blessing. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.